Detainees held by the U.S. government at the Guantanamo Bay prison were administered very high doses of melfloquine, a powerful anti-malarial drug that's known to have a number of adverse side effects. Questions are being raised about why it was given to them and whether administering the drug in high doses can be considered a form of torture. Joining us now is Mark Denbo, a law professor and director of the Seton Hall Law Center for Policy and Research. He's also the co-author of the report, Drug Abuse, an Exploration of the Government's Use of Melfoquin at Guantanamo. Mark, welcome to today's underreported segment. Thank you very much. Before we get started, we should note that you have represented detainees at Guantanamo. Were any of them treated with this drug? None of them told me they were, but I've never been able to see their medical records, so I don't actually know whether they received them or not. All of them had been brought to Guantanamo years before I ever met them. How effective is melfoquine as an anti-malarial drug? Okay, that's an important question, and I think nowadays people think it's suspect in almost all purposes, but at the time we're talking about, the Army, the military, certainly believed it had some efficacious use in proper doses because they did give it to soldiers in certain areas. Um, one of the problems has been there are some soldiers and some military doctors who thought even the small dosage was so harmful that they feel the side effects have permanently damaged many soldiers and they need the VA hospital system to give them some protection. That's the backside of this. But that makes it pretty clear that the Army didn't believe this was something that in and of itself was an evil product. What got us our attention was that the normal use of mefloquine is 250 milligrams a week, given every day, one day a week, on the same time, on the same day, because their purpose is to keep a flat level of anti-malarial ingredients in the blood system to prevent them from getting malaria. The problem was the detainees in Guantanamo were suddenly given in one shot as soon as they arrived, five times the normal dosage, and only given it once. So it would have had no effect to protect them from getting malaria after the first week was over. But that would also not be a problem in itself because the United States government admits there is no malaria in Cuba. So there was never any need, actually, to give them this anti-malarial drug. And the U.S. soldiers and sailors are never given any anti-malarial drugs when they come to Guantanamo. But detainees held in Guantanamo were picked up from all over the world. Don't many of them come from areas where malaria is common? Oh, I think that's right. I, I don't know all of the areas, but certainly it would be reasonable to assume that a significant number of the detainees would have been exposed to malaria or even had malaria. That would make sense if when they were picked up, they were taken from an anti-malarial area and brought to Guantanamo. But they weren't. They were picked up and held for weeks, months. Some of the people's exams we've looked at were held for as long as eight months in Afghanistan, in Bagram. So they had full medical records and testing, and they knew exactly how many people came to Guantanamo with malaria. And they knew which of those who'd come from malarial areas had been tested and found not to have it. One of the things that came up in our research was there's a a medical standard operating procedure that requires that every person detained immediately be given, uh, do a patient history, they do blood tests, blood work, and other things, and they create a medical file that goes with them wherever they go. So what it actually meant was by the time they arrived in Guantanamo, 
the the medical SOPs for detainees required that they have all been tested for that. And it required that when they arrived, their medical history came with them so people would know whether they had malaria or not or whether they had been treated for it or not or anything else. So should we be suspicious of the Department of Defense spokesman's uh, what he told the liberal website Truthout that the decision was made to, quote, presumptively treat each arriving Guantanamo detainee for malaria to prevent the possibility of having mosquito-borne illness spread from an infected individual to uninfected individuals in the Guantanamo population, the Guard Force, the population at the naval base, or the broader Cuban population? Well, that would almost make sense, except that using mefloquine in that purpose at most would protect them for a week. Ten days later, a mosquito would presumably, because the the way the medical blood works, that drug is designed to be consistently in their own body. So that would be designed to prevent people from getting it. Um, I, I think the reason that I'm skeptical about all of this is not because I know what their motive is. I think what stunned me when I was going through this was, I'm going to call it the reckless disregard for what most people would think was proper medical care. You know, this is the first glimpse anybody has had of exactly what kind of medical care detainees received. And it wouldn't have seemed to be very significant to find out they gave them 1,250 milligrams of mefloquine when they arrived. But as we spoke to doctors, deans of medical schools, and other places, they all said, well, that dosage is remarkably inappropriate. Really, I think Dr. Miles of the University of Minnesota Medical School said it was just mass public health malpractice to do that indiscriminately to these people. What kinds of side effects have been reported from using mefloquine? Well, well, the side effects have been reported are, to a large extent, um, neurological. I mean, there, there, there is a considerable body of medical doctors in the Army and the Navy who are convinced that the re- detainee soldiers and sailors who've returned had terrible side effects just from the small dosage. Um, the side effects that at least one of the detainees whose medical files we have, in fact, this is the only detainee whose entire medical files are available, and that is the detainee we're talking about. For two and three weeks afterwards, he was having hallucinations. He was curled up in a ball in his cage in Camp X-Ray. He believed the ceiling was coming down on him. And apparently, we've had the armed soldiers have committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide, and they've had permanent damage, and that's from 250 milligrams at a time. In your report, you call the administration of mefloquine in high doses the psychological equivalent of waterboarding. Well, I think that would probably be true. For anybody in those doses, they would be going through an intensely, as it's been described to us, intensely terrifying sense of unreality. It's a dream state where they don't even know they're dreaming. Were there any memos that uh, gave the, uh, the people at Guantanamo permission to do this sort of thing? Absolutely not. In fact, in March of 2002, it was specifically determined that for detainees, they didn't have to have consent for medical treatment. So the detainees were never told, they were never asked. Um, um, And I think that, well, my law students are really affronted that no one would ever give people the option or even the information. 
Most doctors are affronted that people with medical records available to them would indiscriminately give people treatment for a condition that seemingly none of them had. And the military should have known each person as they walked in whether it was even warranted and or whether the side effects would be even more egregious. My guest is Mark Denbo, a law professor and director of the Seton Hall Law Center for Policy and Research and co-author of the report, Drug Abuse and Exploration of the Government's Use of Mefloquine at Guantanamo. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. You note that mefloquine is part of a class of drugs that were used in a U.S. government project called MKUltra. What were those experiments? Well, this, there were many drugs used that would deal with, if you want, mind-altering effects. I mean, the drama goes back to the 60s and 70s with LSD, but clearly the Defense Intelligence Agency and others working with them had been dealing with these drugs, and the, the only thing I can say for sure is that they knew what the side, the neurological mind-altering consequences could be with mefloquine. Uh, we're not prepared to say they were experimenting with it as a device. We don't know why they were doing it. But we do know that they knew of these very serious mind-altering neurological consequences, and they proceeded to give it indiscriminately in doses five times the amount that was ever therapeutic. So we point that out without uh, advocating or explaining what's happening because this world of drugs and medicine and intelligence and protecting soldiers and protect is a very complicated world. Our real concern is that everybody has assumed that the medical care of Guantanamo detainees was especially good. Perhaps the leading proponent of that was Michael Moore, who explained that detainees got better medical care in Guantanamo than people in the United States. We're beginning to think that the fairest the worst characterization that seems most defensible is that there was simply a reckless disregard for the health and mental and physical consequences for detainees when there was a bureaucratic decision made to simply make sure there was no chance malaria would ever spread. The fact the device didn't do that, the fact that it was unwarranted, the fact it was unneeded, and the fact it was excessive in general and they knew the medical records of people so they could have diagnosed it properly. Simply, the only explanation we can come up with is they just didn't care, and they had simply a solution. Give them drugs, give them five times the normal amount, and then we'll move on. Did you speak to any tropical disease experts about the administration of the drug to asymptomatic individuals? Oh, yes. Um, well, we, there's a Dean Olds, who's the founding dean of the University of California Medical School in Riverside, who is one of the three leading, I guess, nationally or and even internationally recognized tropic disease specialists, had was stunned when he learned that they were given to the the drugs were given. He said this is a very dangerous drug, partly because it's not water soluble. Because so it can only be done, digested through the blood, the, through through um, uh, fat, which meant that there's a very high what they call blood-brain transfer, meaning it goes in immediately into all the organs, especially the brain, and it has a very very long shelf life, half life, so that it'll be there for weeks and weeks at a time. And I think he said that in his professional opinion, there's no medical justification for giving a massive dose of mefloquine 
to an asymptomatic individual. Well, weren't said, these drugs developed by the U.S. military? Well, yes. Um, we are being quite cautious in the inferences we're drawing from some of these facts because some people have said they were being developed because after Vietnam, the um, strains of malaria that had been were no longer that were existing were not responding to the anti-malarial drugs, so they were trying to develop a new drug to protect soldiers. Um, as far as the military's efforts are concerned, that would certainly be a reasonable thing to do, and they certainly gave it to soldiers. But the military also knew of an enormously dangerous side effect, neurological side effect, and they gave it to soldiers at very precise quantities in very structured times, only when they were going into malarial areas. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, we don't have access to the medical records of detainees who were held at right. Guantanamo. Should we? Is, there, uh, is that a typical policy? Well, uh, nothing's typical about detainees, but up until this point, the military has taken the position that no detainee nor their lawyers has any right ever to see their medical records. So whether you're being force-fed, hunger-striking, or just you simply want your own doctor to evaluate the condition of the detainee or his counsel, they, they go, the military will not make those available. They claim it's national security reasons. I mean, no one else has been able to come up with a reason for why national security would make their individual detainees' medical records unable to be revealed to their lawyers or to themselves. Um, up until this point, that just seemed part of the general <clears throat> idea of not letting any information come out. Um, but I think many believed that they assumed the medical care was independent and competent, and there was no problem. One of the reasons that we wrote this report was because in this one two-page document, the very first moment they arrive in Guantanamo, there was the evidence of this reckless giving of mind-altering drugs to people. And obviously, we thought maybe it was only one person. We did find one other um, detainee's lawyer who had the similar page with exactly the same standard printed form. It's attached as an appendix to our report. It's exactly the procedure that they give every time. And so it's set up... <clears throat> to be done not by doctors, but by corpsmen or medics. They just give them the medication and they move on. And it's made us realize now that there are many other things that perhaps people should look at more carefully. And I think many medical groups have now come forward and suggested that once you understand what mefloquine is and the harm it does and the risks it imposes, even at modest doses, there's a very brave military doctor named Remington Nevins, Major Nevins. He's been advocating in the military for the right to have soldiers who have had harmful side effects from mefloquine in its smallest, most moderate use, recognized because the consequences, even in that small amount, have been so egregious for so many soldiers, and they ought to have Veterans Administration treatment for it. He has not succeeded. And he was one of the sources we called because we were trying to understand why it was that if the Army would be giving this to soldiers, why would it be significant if they were giving it to detainees? And he was shocked to find the dosage was five times the amount that he found was dangerous for American military people. And 
Um, at that point, he also agreed that there was no malaria in Guantanamo. So this entire thing was designed to deal with people who had malaria when they arrived in Guantanamo, even though many of them had, as I think I've mentioned, they were held for months in Bagram and in other places. And some, one person asked me the other day, they said, well, if they're worried about malaria when they were being held in malarial areas, did they give them all mefloquine then? I said, we don't know, because those medical records don't exist. And then the person said, well, you know, if they didn't give it, the mefloquine, to people when they were in the malarial area, why would you think they would then give it to them when they've left the malarial area and give them? And he said, that would mean either if they gave them to people in the malarial area and at Guantanamo, they were doubling the they were doing twice the the dosage that was considered to be so dangerous. And he said, of course, if they weren't giving it to them there, then it would have to be explained by something unique to Guantanamo. Mark Dembo is a co-author of this report, Drug Abuse and Exploration of the Government's Use of Mefloquine at Guantanamo. We have a link to it on our show page at WNYC.org. And I want to thank... Mr. Dembo, who's a professor of law and director of Seton Hall's Law Center for Policy and Research, for being on today's Underreported. Thank you so much. 